0: Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas and Life Over Coffee. I have an excellent topic for you today. Last year, I did a series of video and podcast reviews of The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. You can find all of those podcast as well as the videos on our website and there were a lot of questions but one of the questions that was asked is well if if this is how not to do it well then what are uh, some good qualifications for a pastor or more importantly how do you assess a pastor for a future ministry? And I thought that is an outstanding question. And so I want to deal with that here. This is episode 420. The title of it is, How Do You Assess and Prepare a Future Pastor for Ministry? Thank you again so much for being here. Let's jump into this excellent topic. Pastoral ministry is one of the more complex vocations a person can have. I did pastor for five years, and I really enjoyed pastoral ministry as far as shepherding people and and helping people. It's a wonderful ministry, but it is complex. It is challenging. And honestly, there is no time off, even on your day off, because you're always ramping down from the week you just had. And of course, you're looking at the week that is before you. And so you're constantly in the boil of hot water. And it is hard. And that's why assessing a pastor and trying to do the best that you can to discern what you're looking for and the kind of individual that you're looking at, you want to do that very well. We all have our stories of it going poorly. We know the statistics, the burnout rates, and the aftermath of a failed pastor. But there are more of them that are doing it well, and I mean exceptionally well. The successes of pastoral ministry far outshine the failures, though we hardly talk about those successes, those people who are doing it the right way. I've had the opportunity in my speaking Uh, Tours, uh, events to meet a lot of outstanding pastors, but unfortunately, goodness is not as tweetable as badness. But it's still worth asking the question, what makes a good pastor? What are some of the things you should look for in a potential pastoral candidate? There are no doubt zillions of books written on pastoral ministry and what makes a great leader. So what I have to say here is not the last word. It's probably not even the best word, and most definitely not the exhaustive word. That would be unfair to put that burden on anyone in a brief podcast. But what I do hope is that I trust that it will help point churches in a helpful direction while possibly saving a few of them from making horrible mistakes. Maybe you could use the analogy of marriage. It's better not to take the plunge than to marry the wrong person. It's better to say no to a potential pastoral candidate than to install the wrong guy. It's easier to work through the disappointment of breaking up, whether it's marriage or if you're installing the wrong guy. It's much easier to say no than it is to remove a pastor and to recover from that pastor. That is a much more difficult process, and of course, it's more tedious, and it has legs. It is residual many times often generational because the impact can it can touch families parents and children and many people can walk away from the church and so assessing a candidate is one of the more important things that a church leadership team and a local congregation will do you're probably familiar with the Typical formula for becoming a pastor, it can go something like this. A burden equals a presumptive calling. A burden equals the calling and the ability and the future position, meaning if you have a burden to go into ministry, well, the assumption is on God's call. that individual of course that is a subjective call it is also internal many times there is not external affirmation or even if there is external affirmation that they do not know exactly what to look for and so the person will receive the training the person will step into their pastoral passion, but often it's more about a self-appointment than a decision born from and out of a community of sound and reasonable people who not only know their Bibles, but they have the courage to do the hard thing, meaning standing up and saying, I don't believe this is what we need to do with this individual. And this idea of self-appointment happens too often. Uh, We go with what the individual Individual is telling us and they have a burden but yet the vetting process is not as thorough if it happens at all and so when assessing a potential future pastor You're looking for at least five specific things that you want to assess, and I want to walk through those in this podcast, this video that I'm building out for you. Those things are character, capacity, competence, courage, and compassion. Now, I have an infographic here that lays out those five things that you're looking for. Again, it is a short list. There are more things, but these are absolutely crucial crucial and also the sequence matters as well. They are character, capacity, competence, courage, and compassion. I am going to touch on five all five of those again in a non-exhaustive way, you're welcome to take a look at this infographic. Under each one of those qualities, I have some sub-points under each one. There's six, seven, eight under each one that will help to flesh that out for you in your mind. And so let's look at the Fab Five, five essential things. And, And when I said that they're in sequential order, what I meant primarily, is that the first one is non-negotiable. It is the first one, and that is character. Character is the foundation, and everything that happens in that pastor's life, everything that he thinks, everything that he says, everything that he does is going to flow out of his character. It is interesting when you do read First Timothy 3, where Paul gives us that breakdown of pastoral qualities Only one of those would fall in the line of competence as far as a skill set is concerned, and that is he must be apt to teach but every other quality in that list is tied somehow to the individual's character. Of course, you can make a case that teaching is tied to character as well, but my point here is character is absolutely essential. And so you want to assess the person's character by being with them as opposed to doing a personality test. And I know a, a lot of people, prefer to do personality test, one, because it's easier, it circumference the harder work. And also in some situations, you're not able to spend time with the individual. But the problem with personality test, and there are a lot of them, and I have some links here inside these show notes, episode 420. And so if you go to 420, the title of it is How to Assess and Prepare a Future Pastor for Ministry. You can click on these links and get a fuller understanding of my perspective on personality test. And that's where, you know, this podcast that I'm building here is 30 minutes. But if you take advantage of all the resources here in these show notes, then you could have multiplied hours of work in front of you, and I think it would be quite profitable. For example, there is another article podcast titled, What Qualities Do You Look For in a Pastor? It's different from what I'm sharing here. And then the pain points of pastoring in a hostile, chaotic culture, one of the things about pastoral assessment and leadership, you have to think about the milieu in which that pastor is in. Of course, speaking of a pastor in the United States, well, We are in a hostile and chaotic culture that is so different from 10 years ago, 20 years ago, or 50 years ago, and so that matters, and so you have to think about the contextualization of this pastor, and is he a good fit in this culture at this time? And then I have another one linked here, the understanding the exhaustive work of being a pastor. But going back to personality test is they won't tell you about a person's heart motives. They won't get into shaping influences or how well this person works with other people. I mean, it could be that on a, a diagram that these two categories blend well together from a personality testing perspective, but yet, if their character is off, if their motivations, their intentions are off, uh, if they have secret sins, things that a personality test would never figure out, uh, then it doesn't matter if they meet theoretically and supposedly could work well together. But personality tests do not Uh, They do not identify sin issues, whether present tense or the shaping influences that created this individual to be how he is. Now, the second point under a character that I would want to make is that it is a subjective timeline to discern a person's character. And I would say, you know, at least two to three years that you spend with an individual where you interact with him in multiple contexts. I'm talking about not just seeing him in the church building, but also engaging him in his home with his wife and his family, meeting his dog, hanging out on the back deck, uh, grilling burgers on a Saturday afternoon, going to a ball game, watching him interact in small group. And there's a hundred other contexts, but over two or three years from multiple, several witnesses, that will give you a more thorough understanding of who this individual is. But unfortunately, the two most common ways that people would assess a pastor is one through personality test, and then the pastor will come and preach a trial sermon, and then everybody will uh, meet the pastor, his wife, his children, and his dog, and then they will vote on it. And unfortunately, that is unfortunate because that's just another version of Facebook where we put our best foot forward, and you you can represent yourself in a... uh, An acceptable and admirable way uh, for a few moments, but doing this over two or three years where this person grows up in the church where, again, in these multiple contexts, character is important. The second point is capacity. Now, under capacity, I'm asking a few questions. For example, what are their abilities, their strengths, and their weaknesses? Not from a test that you have given. This is a strength test that we have found. This identifies these seven qualities that we're looking for no how does it look in real life not in theory when you mix in the individual's sin and proclivities as they interact with other people what is their capacity their abilities their strengths their their weaknesses what do they have the presence of currently the gifts that they have they possess right now though they have yet perfected them What do you foresee this person doing? For example, when a person comes to our mastermind program to be trained specifically in biblical counseling, what I am looking for are the presence of certain things. Many of them are listed here on this infographic that you're welcome to take advantage of. I'm not looking for the perfection of those, but as I see the presence of certain things, then you can begin to predict subjectively. You can begin to foresee how this will play out with this individual because you've identified the presence of gifting even if it's in an infantile or embryonic way and so what do they have the presence of currently though they have yet perfect have yet to perfect these things in the future and then the third question under capacity is what is his gift mix? And what I mean by that is that he is unique. He's not like any other person in the world, not like anybody else on the entire planet. And so how will he fit in with your community? How will the church benefit from him? Uh, is he a city boy going to a con- to, to, to the country? Is his a southern boy uh, going to the north? Does his personality work with these people? Now, I know that these things can be learned and the person can adapt, but there's also ceilings. There are prescribed ceilings with all of us. Does he have the ability to pastor a hundred-person church, but if it goes to 500, do you see the presence of his gifting now? to where he could lead a 500 or a 5,000 member church? Does he have a skill set that's more in line with planting a church where he spends two years with a group and then moves on and plants another? Or does he have a personality that can really settle in and be there for 50 years? And so you're trying to understand his capacity and also project what that would look like in the future, not just with his own progressive sanctification growth but also the potential growth of the church and so there is character there is capacity there is also competency what training have they received now in some ways the training is the easy part you go to school and you sit under profs and you take exams and you learn stuff that is the acquisition of of knowledge and that is of all of this that is the easiest part assuming they go to a sound theological school and they have sound theology But under competency, it's not just the acquisition of knowledge, it is the application of it. Some of the things that I have mentioned already speak to his ability to apply the knowledge that he has, the knowledge that he has acquired, not just in an academic theological setting, but also what are we talking about as far as an IQ? Again, it goes back to a gift mix and what he is like and how he would fit within the culture that he is in. What are their skills, uh, his ability to teach? What about how he socializes? How does he counsel? Can he build a team? Is he the best uh, best fit for this size of church? For the gifting that he has, you are looking at his competency. What is his effect on other people? If you want to assess an individual's competency, then one of the things that you need to do is you need to look in the rearview mirror and see the trail that he has left. The relationships that he has established in the past, where those relationships are now and how those relationships uh, have been affected because he's going to affect future relationships too. And it's kind of like marriage. Let me pull that analogy back up here again. It, I will tell uh, both men and women as, as they're getting married that the person you are marrying is not going to change. And so, and, and what I mean by that is this what he has been is what he's going to be in the next few months and the few years. Of course, he's going to be progressively getting better or progressively getting worse. It depends. Uh, But he's not going to change at the day of the wedding. And so in order to assess a a groom or a bride, then you want to look in the rearview mirror. How has he been treating his mother, his siblings? How has he been interacting with other relationships? And the same with the bride as well, because whatever those relationships were and the interaction with those relationships give you clues as to what your relationship will be with this new spouse in the future? Well, very much the same here with a pastoral candidate. He has a history, and so trying to understand, discern that history to see what effect he has on other people. Now, if he's married, well, there is Exhibit A right there. If he's married for five years or 10 years, then there you go with a uh, with the ability to assess how his wife is maturing. I'm not saying that she's not responsible for her own growth, but I am saying that he has affected her either for the good or bad. He's either an enhanced her maturity in Christ or not. And the same for children. And then, of course, you can look at other relationships, too. And so what has been his effect on other people, wife, children, other relationships? We're under category number three, competency. How has it worked out in an applicable, practical, functional way? Competency, again, is not just the acquisition of knowledge, but it is the application of it as well. And then, talking about this idea of discipleship and effect on people who has he developed how has uh, how are those folks doing now you see one of the prerequisites of a pastor is leadership and one of the subpoints and maybe one of the main subpoints under leadership is the replication of himself a pastor who cannot replicate is not a is not qualified to be a pastor because a pastor is on point leading, fulfilling the great commission, going and making disciples, or in Ephesians 4, he is equipping the people to do the work of the ministry, or in 1 Timothy 2, he's committing to faithful men who can do likewise, or 1 Corinthians 11, he's teaching them how to follow him as he follows Christ. And so a key aspect to leadership, a person who has a leadership, gift is a person who can replicate himself, and so as you take that second look in the rearview mirror, who has he developed? Who has he replicated? If he hasn't replicated anybody, if he is a novice, well, then he's disqualified according to 1 Timothy 3. You don't want to install that kind of person because it can cause all kinds of havoc in the church, a person who hasn't been sufficiently vetted. And so this is episode 400. How do you assess and prepare a future pastor for ministry? I'm looking at five leadership categories, character, capacity, competency. And again, this is not the exhaustive word, but these are some ideas that I hope will get the mental ball rolling. And then number four was courage. And I'm only going to make one point here, and it's the most important point. How is he doing with the mortification of the fear of man? Pastoral ministry is a ministry where you are in diverse, awkward, tenuous, difficult context, to, uh, whether it's doing a funeral, doing a wedding, whether it's confronting somebody about their sin, whether it's doing church discipline, whether it's turning down a, a job hire, whether it's bringing uh, corrective care in someone's life. If the pastor has selfish ambition and has a need for approval or acceptance or is afraid of rejection, then that's going to affect every single thing that he does, including his preaching, because his preaching will lack courage. And so it is essential. This is a big deal because being struggling with the fear of man, it comes with our Adamic packaging and if you think that this pastor has overcome it well then that is naive because that is not true but I'm not asking is he has he overcome it I'm asking about his mortification of it mortification means to take the vitality out of it to make it dead it is kind of like a common cold if i can use the physical analogy to where Uh, You can't get rid of it in a moment. You can't amputate it, but you can kill it over a period of days. Well, we will continue to mortify our fear of man throughout our lives. And a, a young person will have a greater dose of it than an older person, assuming that that older person has been maturing and been mortifying this because a pastor needs courage you want to follow a courageous man jesus had courage and that is absolutely essential you can feel timidity you can feel uh, fear you can feel an inhibition uh, that a leader has and if a leader is not comfortable in his own skin and is struggling too much with the fear of a man that he doesn't have courage it doesn't exude confidence Sheep need to lean into the faith of the leader. And what I mean by that is that he is leading them and they need to know that this person is not just right with God, but there is a fearlessness to him and he has courage and that shepherd emboldens the sheep. And then number five is compassion. And the reason that this is essential on my list is because courage without it leads to harshness and unkindness part of pastoral leadership or leadership period it doesn't matter where the leader is is being kind gentle and entreatable you see these two last categories kind of balance each other out courage without compassion is a mean-spirited harsh person who's domineering and authoritarian and if you just let that go he will run all over you and again we have our stories compassion without courage, well, that is going to go into the ditch of mercy run amok where the person can't say no, where the person has no backbone, and it's not really compassion what we're talking about. But when you mix courage and compassion, then you have that Perfect assimilation of two qualities that are absolutely essential. All right, so those are the five categories. I kind of skipped the rock over the pond, but if you want to know more, then I would encourage you to take advantage of all of these links in show notes uh, of episode 420. I do want to close with a few uh, random thoughts. I have four of them in particular that I want to highlight because they're so important. One does the person have appropriate self-awareness? Do they have a good sober self-assessment of who they are? And then whatever their assessment is, do other people have similar opinions of him? And so that's the internal-external balancing that you really want. We can think that we are a certain way, but in reality, we are not. It is the old, let me record myself on the audio tape uh, Illustration where you hear yourself and you're shocked. that You sound that way, but everybody else in the room already knew it. You're the last to know. And so does this person have a clear-eyed, sober self-assessment of who he is? And then whatever that assessment is, this is a discussion that you want to have with him. Rather than taking a personality test, let him tell you uh, what he is like, uh, what his strengths and weaknesses are. By the way, if he can't talk about his weaknesses, then he's missing humanity. Humility maybe struggling with fear of man, and so it's going to get complicated from that point forward. And so whatever he tells you as far as his assessment of who he is and how he interacts with other people, well, do, do three, four other people who know him, I mean, really know him, do they have a similar opinion? Number two, how do you know he does not struggle with selfish ambition? How do you know that? Now, that is something that you really have to deliberate because the maybe one of the greatest temptations about being in pastoral ministry would be similar to anybody that has a platform. Anybody that has a platform is that it can go to your head. It can be an ego trip. Uh, it can become all about us. This is something that you really have to assess. Is this person humble? Uh, it, it's truly humble and not about himself, and, and he takes John's mantra that Christ must de- increase and I must decrease. How do you know he does not struggle with selfish ambition? And the reason that I, I have this as a line item, standing alone, is because this is one of the most significant temptations with pastors and, again, with anybody uh, in um uh, In a leadership role, we see that with our politicians all the time that they want to be in that position because of the fame, the power, the control, whatever the perverse motive is, they have selfish ambition, and you have to be able to identify that and see if this person struggles with that. Number three, who has mentored him? and has the insight into his life. And then the follow-up is, what does his mentor say about him? This is more of that reflecting looking back in the rearview mirror, because you want to know some of the questions that I'm asking here. What would that person, the person who has actually spent time in grade with him, maybe the individual or individuals who have sinned against him, or better, he has sinned against them. How did he reconcile that? How did that work out who has mentored him there has to be a past back there and so you want to try to discern those things and then finally how do you know he's qualified how do you know and what do you base your opinion on what is the criteria and not only those things but who agrees who agrees with you And so there's some questions to think about. The title of this episode, 420, How Do You Assess and Prepare a Future Pastor for Ministry? I would appeal to you, if you wish, to look at these show notes here, take advantage of all of these embedded links. There's a video uh, inside here, as well as this podcast. There's an infographic. And then, as always, we're here for you. Uh, We are here for you. Our team would love to serve you. And so if we could help you in any way as you work through the these things. These are common questions that are asked us as a ministry, and we have supporting member forums that you're welcome to jump on, and you can ask whatever question that you have. But this one is an important one. Also, by the way, that if I do public speaking uh, at your place, at your church or organization, I do have these private conversations with pastors. I have scores of them because this is important to them. And so if I ever show up at your place, if you invite me, I would love to. And more than just speaking publicly, I would love to have some behind-the-scenes conversations if I can serve you that way. All right? Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.